Hey, in our podcast today, we're going to be talking about an important topic. Why are some nations rich and other nations seem to perpetually struggle with poverty and brokenness? And the second question, equally as important, are there certain cultural beliefs and values that actually set up some nations for blessing and prosperity? And also the converse, are there certain values and beliefs that actually set other nations on a trajectory of pain and misery and suffering? We've got some answers for you. We're going to be talking about that in our podcast today. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Here we are again. We are so excited to uh, to chat with you. And what you all don't get to see is the pre-podcast discussions that Pastor Andrew and I have. We have to literally say, stop, quit talking. We're, we need to save this content for when it's live. Uh, so this was another one of those mornings when uh, when we're uh, laughing and cheering excitedly. Just the, isn't it amazing? When I first was introduced to Christian Worldview, it just made me come alive because I realized, wait a minute. The Bible and truth is a foundation for everything, and when you when you see kind of the ripple effects mm-hmm. of of biblical truth and understanding, and the impact that it has in a real world, not a mystical world, but like real world, it just invigorated me. And you know, I, I joke around before when I was off at Regent University, which of course was a Christian university, where they tried to immerse every subject matter in biblical worldview. I I could still be in school just because. It is amazing to me when when a a mind comes in contact with truth with a capital T, yeah, absolute truth, and you see the impact of ideas for good and bad. It's just absolutely exciting, and so um, that's that's I guess for me why it's been so powerful is it, it awakens my heart, you know, because right. it's not like I'm a pastor just because I couldn't think of anything else to do with my life, you know. It's like I was apprehended. Right. By the Lord, apprehended by truth, and and taken captive in a good way, you know, right. uh, captivated by truth, and uh, and I hope as you guys are watching these podcasts or listening uh, along with us that it awakens something in your heart, just to the excitement of knowing Jesus, the excitement of reading the Word and seeing the impact that the Bible has had in our world. Well, I think that's the that's the biggest uh, eye opening thing for me is you know growing up in the church is all these like very high level idea, idealistic things that seems like there's not a lot of practical implication in our world because there's a disconnect between the church and our everyday life. And once you understand biblical worldview or or really principle of God's kingdom and Jesus came to promote uh, a a change of regime, right? A new king, ushering a brand new kingdom. What you realize is all these uh, high level idea, ethereal ideas like you know, love your enemies and serve each other and care for each other have practical implications that led to prosperity of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And once those dots are connected, you're like, wow, these aren't just ideas you sit around and and just talk about, pontificate about. These are ideas that has practical implications in our everyday lives. That is so empowering for yeah. every, should be so empowering for every believer. Well, you, and you brought up a really good point, and it's one that I like to touch on on a regular basis. I think I touched on it last Sunday, the, the word prosperity in the church has gotten a bad rap because uh, of our prosperity teachers and uh, some of the name it, claim it, uh, if you have faith, you'll be rich, those types of things, um, which are, are perversions of the gospel. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
uh, this book that we're, we're and for those of you who are maybe turning in for the very very first time, we've been in a book called The Book That uh, Made Your World, uh, and it's an incredible read, but basically it, it is capturing the reason behind wherever the gospel goes, there's an economic lift. It brings prosperity, and that's biblical prosperity, and there's nothing the matter with prospering. In fact, the opposite is, is equally concerning, the opposite error, where the church preaches that, you know, poverty is almost a form of holiness. Uh, and, and we just quickly want to dismiss that that is as worse of a lie as the prosperity uh, gospel. Um, you know, po- there's nothing virtuous about poverty for poverty's sake. Uh, prosperity means you not only have enough to take care of your family, but you have enough to care for other people and to help the poor and to help those that are less fortunate. Right. So prosperity is a biblical thing. And I think this book, especially this chapter, which is called True Wealth, this chapter does a great job of giving the noble purpose behind um, why nations prosper. And, and so let's, let's just talk about that, you know, because this is a controversial topic today. Why are some nations poor and other nations rich? The, the progressive answer is that basically that white people exploited everybody else. And that's why uh, certain countries are wealthy. It's because they have exploited other classes of people and, and plundered, uh, you know, other people's resources, or it's the old uh, inequality of resource argument, right? Some nations naturally have um, more natural resources while other nations don't. But what we find is people are the same. Uh, They're made in the image and likeness of God. Planet Earth is the same. There are resources in every nation of the world. You have some of the most uh, impoverished nations with great natural resources. So that's not necessarily the the factor, right? Absolutely. I think about Venezuela, incredible... oil and gas resources, but they're impoverished now because of communism, Mm -hmm. communist dictator. So um, the question, again, why are some nations wealthy and some aren't? And and so that's what he's addressing. And he asked the question, do cultural beliefs and values condemn whole cultures to poverty? And the the converse would equally be true. Do certain cultural beliefs and values actually set up other nations for incredible wealth? Yeah. And I think he makes a good case of talking about that. So set the stage for us. He, he, he's talking about uh, the World's Fair 1851 in London. And he introduces us and maybe our listeners today to a, a, a an historical figure who made a humongous impact uh, and who had a display there at the. In fact, it was part of the American display at the uh, at the World's Fair that was mocked and right. ridiculed. It was in London, this World's Fair, and all the European nation brought their arts and their prestigious, you know, architecture, their wealth, their wealth, yep. and then you got these. American, two American inventors who brought something um, that's practical, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, it's a it's a it's a reaper, right? It's yes, a, it's some type of uh, wheat reaper or something like that. Yes, it's, it's a functional farming equipment that helps it be more efficient. In fact, the London Times, you know, the newspapers uh, have been doing this. I, I'm realizing now for centuries, yes. right? Uh, the London changed, Times right. ridiculed this horse-driven reaper uh, created by Cyrus McCormick. They ridiculed it as a cross between a flying machine, a wheelbarrow, and a chariot. And so the elite 
were mocking the uh, the Americans who were considered backwards, and uh, and here on display was this massive diamond that coming from India that was right. put in the Queen Victoria's crown, and you go to the American exhibit, and, and it was it was again ridiculed as the prairie ground exhibit. Yeah, uh, and here's this reaper that looks like some crazy flying machine. Nobody really knows what it's all about. Right. Um, and Americans were ridiculed because they were kind of the new world. They were the the, the backwoods, yeah. you know, pioneers. And yet, in a short amount of time, the West catapulted into incredible economic prosperity. And part of it was because of this guy, Cyrus McCormick, who he spends a lot of time introducing us to. This reaper was capable of harvesting 20 acres of land a day. Now, when you think about the old sickle route, right? When you're out there swinging the sickle, imagine, you know, 20 acres is roughly the, the amount of ground that Living Stones is on. Imagine swinging that sickle uh, all day long and seeing how far you'd get doing it all by hand, backbreaking work out in the heat, uh, you know, uh, just miserable. Uh, and now all of a sudden you come along with a machine that does all that work for you and and takes you from maybe I don't know one acre a day that that that's would be a pretty good piece of land to 20 acres a day. Not only does it re- remove the toil, but it, incre- it increases the production and the output. Um, and so this was an incredible, incredible invention that literally transformed the world. But he asked the question, you know, why is it that the Americans are thinking about how to create reaping machines when there are other people in other parts of the world? He, he says again, you know, the, the myth of necessity being the... Um, Mother of invention. Yeah, that, that you know, necessity was everywhere. Feeding people is is a global phenomenon. So that that necessity exists everywhere. Why is it? And he again brings his own culture. Why is it that the Indians? Why is it that the uh, Chinese? Why is it that the Russians and other places? Why is it they were not using the engineering genius of their people to create? Something that removes toil and actually feeds people and increases right. productivity. That's the question. What was, what was the cultural uh, environment right. that was necessary to lead to that kind of... Right. He's saying necessity is not necessarily the mother of invention because there need necessity is everywhere. But in many of these nations, that not, is not reinforced by a biblical worldview. When you have necessity, what you do is you just get, you just get more slaves. You just get more manual laborers. Right. You just get more children to work in the field. Right. Whereas in the Christian worldview, they see toil as bad and that you see us as made image and likeness of God and we're supposed to love and care for our neighbors. So Cyrus McCormick says, I'm gonna, because of his worldview, he says, I'm going to create something that will reduce toil and increase productivity. And because I'm made in, in the likeness of God, I have the inventive uh, idea to go and create this machine that makes our lives easier and cre- increase productivity, increase uh, economic for our, for our neighbors and for everyone so we can yep. feed more people. Yep. And so it's the worldview that made the difference. It wasn't necessity, is the worldview. That's good. You and I have both been to the East. And, and again, you, some of the most incredible works of art... <coughs> Uh, are produced Chinese history, Indian history. I've, I've spent a lot of time in, in India. I've been over there probably at least 10 times. Uh, and there are elaborate temples that probably took generations to make. I mean, I've been to the Taj Mahal. You can see why it's one of the wonders of the world. It's unbelievable. Uh, but again, those things were created 
on the backs of peasants who uh, were work either, either basically people who did not have the power to say no. Mm-hmm. So he talks about um, people that were not landowners, people who were slaves, women, children. Uh, basically, that was the the, the force, the, the economic force, the, the workforce behind creating these amazing works of art. So we create these works of art, these temples, these palaces, but nobody was using their brain work, as you pointed out, no, to help alleviate the, the misery of the peasant class. That's because only Christianity provided a worldview to, that suggested you could even care about the peasant class in the first place. Right. And he brings up a good point. He says, love is not a common ethical principle of all religions. Uh, that, that was, again, eye-opening. He said, you know, in other cultures, you're not thinking again about how do I love my neighbor. If someone's a peasant in India, it's because of karma. And as we talked about in the last episode, you don't try to relieve people uh, from their misery. It's actually the gods punishing them for their previous life. And so only the Christian worldview provided the the um, uh, economic culture to where somebody would go, wait, let's let's think about a way to make these people's jobs easier so they're not out here slaving all day long right. and suffering. And I think another key factor to economics, invention, creating systems and processes for the prosperity of not just yourself but your neighbors is the biblical worldview of take dominion of the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge factor because most cultures see the world as, I think we talked about this before in the, yeah, other yeah. podcast, they see the world's chaos and gods and demons and spirits and mythical and magic. So there's no order. There's no chaos. You're a victim of your world. But when the biblical worldview says, no, we're supposed to take dominion, I think you just preached on it two couple of weeks ago, we're supposed to take dominion of the world. All of a sudden you change your mind that says, we are the rightful stewards of this world. Let's look at this chaos. Let's look at this problem. How do we solve this problem? How do we collaborate, ingenuity, get materials, science, whatever, and solve this problem? Because yep. that—that that is probably the mo- one of the most important dedication of the Bible to wealth and invention. Yep. Because that says that we are supposed to be stewards and not victims of this world. That's good. And and the, the notion, as you pointed out, that the world is not chaotic or evil, the material world is actually good. Yeah. If the material world is good, you're not... You're not running from it. You're not avoiding it. Uh, you're also not worshiping it, which is what you pointed out. You can't take dominion over something that you worship. You know, if we worship the one true God, our goal is not to dominate God. Our goal is to know Him and love Him and serve Him. It's the same thing with planet Earth. If you worship the Earth, you're not going to take dominion over that river and use it to, to irrigate your plants, you're going to worship the river while your people starve to death. Uh, and so it was, the, again, these ideas that are so profound that we yeah. take for granted here Absolutely. in the West, but we should not take them for granted because they are literally building blocks of creating a culture which leads to economic prosperity. Uh, and so a great point. He's also said, we talked about this last week, the hallmark of Indian spirituality was detachment. And so this, in, in many of these cultures, the spiritual person, right, the priest, the right. pastor. Right. Well, what was Pastor Ron doing? Was he out among the people? Was he helping alleviate misery? Was he feeding the poor? Not if you're coming from a Hindu worldview or from uh, a host of other worldviews because the goal in those cultures was detachment. I, I have to, if I'm a holy man, I have to remove myself mm-hmm. from normal peasant 
lower class people because that would somehow defile me. Right. And yet, as we shared, Jesus came and those were the very people that, that loved him because he loved them and cared for them so much. So if you view the peasants as kind of lower class or the working right. class, the blue collar folks as a lower class, not worthy of your time or attention because you're trying to be holy and separate, um, you're never going to think about, hey, how can I invent something that makes these people's life easier? <laughs> right. It just is not part of your worldview. So that's why no other culture invented the Reaper except for a Western American Christian culture because it created, um, again, the worldview to and make that possible. Cyrus McCormick is a Presbyterian. Uh, his, his father came from the Puritan tradition, the Protestant work ethics. He wasn't doing it for profit. He was doing it for the glory of God, yep. which is interesting because when I read about Cyrus McCormick, you and I both felt about the McCormick Center down yeah, yeah. the street from us in Chicago. Uh, what, I think it's still like what the largest office or convention uh, center in the, yeah, in the yeah. world. Yeah, and I was like, oh, are they really? So I you know, Google it real quick and realized that McCormick Center was named after Colonel Robert McCormick, which is... I think the grandson or one of the nephews or of Cyrus McCormick. So they're all related to the same McCormick clan. Right. So so this guy here, the wealth that he had from his family and that he propagated wealth, now is a, there's a physical representation of their family's prosperity in downtown Chicago today. With their name on it. With their name but on it. But he brings out a good point. When, when Cyrus McCormick's father moved to the United States, immigrated to the United States, um, he was very meager, poor beginnings, um, but he had an incredible theological yeah. background. He had the theology of the reformers who taught that work was worship, we, and we've touched on this, work yes. is worship, toil is evil, but work is worship, and the idea of calling, the idea that, that hard work was uh, for the glory of God was spiritual. That was, yeah. I guess, the connection. You know, sometimes we separate work from what's spiritual. But these folks understood what you do with the gifts God's given you, uh, the calling that you have, the hard work that you invest every day is worship. And work and worship were then melded together in a worldview that said, "No, when I wake up in the morning and go out and work hard and I make a profit, uh, that is." what it means to be spiritual. And a yeah. lot of this, of course, came from the parables of Jesus, two-thirds of which uh, uh, of money. the teachings of yeah. Jesus are about money. Yep. And these guys were immersed in the Bible, and they understood that when when the Master gives you talents, He expects you to bring a profit on what He has given you. And so right. profit becomes a matter of stewardship, and stewardship becomes a matter of spirituality. What a connection. Again, these are crazy connections that nobody in other cultures was putting together. <laughs> so today, we have a degree of that. We have workaholism. We have people who work really hard, strong work ethics, innovation. But we just don't have the glory of God part, right? right? Well, which it's will, been removed. Removed, which we'll talk about that in, in later, how that also has a detrimental impact on culture after, if you have the work ethics part, but not the rest of it. But but right now we take all that for granted, not realizing that came largely from the Protestant traditions, from the Reformation yeah. to say, the best way for you to worship is for you to work hard, uh, work hard for God's kingdom, use, use your creativity. Uh, they discover that in the Bible and they change the world. That's incredible to me. So this whole idea of Protestant work ethic, yeah. that's, that, that phrase was captured by a sociologist by the name of Max Weber. Um, and, uh, and I want to read a quote in, from the book about what Weber had to say. He said, but at least one thing in the Protestant mindset was unquestionably new. The valuation of the fulfillment of duty in worldly affairs as the highest form 
which the moral activity of the individual could assume. Uh, this is which inevitably gave everyday worldly activity a religious significance and which first created the conception of calling in this sense. The only way of living acceptably to God was not to surpass the worldly morality in monastic asceticism. In other words, don't. this was the Catholic tradition. The spiritual people would, would get away and live in a, a monastery and you know separate themselves from, quote, worldly pleasures. Uh, he said, but solely through the fulfillment of the obligations imposed upon the individual by his position in the world, this was his calling. And so if you were called to business, then you worked your job to the glory of God, and you took what, whatever money you had, and your goal was to turn it into profit. Mm -hmm. This Protestant work ethic caused uh, the Western countries to shoot, to outshoot the, Euro the European forebears. Uh, and in a short amount of time, the West became an economic powerhouse, but it became a powerhouse not because we had smarter people, not because we had more natural resources, not because we're exploiting people, but because just the opposite, because we're using our gifts and seeing work as something honorable and, and actually as worship. Yeah. Uh, what a radical, radical idea. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, I love this. Francis Bacon and this whole idea of fatalism. Um, he said that the Bible taught that we should not just sit back and, you know, kind of, hey, you know, I'm poor, I guess that's just my lot in life, but that the Bible actually destroyed this fatalistic notion, you know, whatever will be, will be, right? Mm -hmm. this, I, I just come from a poor family, and I guess I'm just supposed to be poor the rest of my life or whatever. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. So talking particularly about the lessons from uh, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, and their in initial situation in Egypt, and yet how God turned all that around. So right. how, does, how does the Bible... Uh, inspire one to entrepreneurship, which is risky, uh, or to just saying, you know, hey, my life is, I'm stuck in poverty right now, but I don't have to live here. Well, I, I think this is very relevant to our world today. I'll, sh I'll share why in a second. The Bible provides a sense of optimism for the future, that God's in control and yeah. God's on our side. Now, Christians take that for granted all day long because we throw that out there. Yeah. But but if you see it from the context of the the history of the world before the advent of Christianity or or even the Reformation, I mean it's a dark place. Yeah. It's a dark place. You are at your again. Well, I said earlier, you're a victim to your environment. You don't know what's going on. Whatever warlord can come and destroy you at any moment. Why have wealth? Because you keep taken up by robbers. There's no police. It's a wild. It's a crazy world. Well, scary place. But Christianity comes in, and the Bible teaches that God's on our side, and He calls He calls us to to take dominion, to be prosperous. He's with us; He's not against us. Those promises led to a degree of optimism, which yeah. allowed people to change the world. Now, I want to speak to the Christian today because this is something that's passionate in my heart. In the darkness that we see in the world today, there are so many Christians. They're waiting for Jesus to come back. They're waiting for the Antichrist to come and take over everything. Yeah. And there's the same. Pessimism, it's Christianized, yeah. but the same pessimism is taking over the world and Christian world Cr today. Christian pessimism, pessimism is actually an oxymoron, right? Absolutely. I mean, oh, Christ's going to come, the rapture's going to come, tribute. I, I don't know all the, rev I don't know, I can't interpret all the revelation and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that that isn't going to come one day, but that is not the heart of a Christian to be pessimistic and to wait for the Antichrist to come and become the president, whatever. And, 
No, there should be a, a sense of optimism in us to make change and make a difference because this call for us to take dominion of the world, have we abandoned that because, you know, because who's in government right now? Because the IRS, right, because right. the FBI, because of big pharma? Do we lose our optimism that just like these guys did in the past or should we recapture the optimism? I only call optimism faith in right. God, that God's control, that we can take dominion of the world. That's very passionate to me well, right well, now. Think about this, that, you know, we, we quote verses as we should. The Bible's full of them. You know, with God, nothing is impossible. Yeah. Um, most cultures view of God is not certainly not a father not a loving king, not a shepherd. These are all understanding of a of the kingdom of God and how God has revealed himself to us. I mean, the God of Islam is not, hey, if God is for you, who can be against right. you? Now, uh, he could care less. I mean, he's very harsh and domineering and uh, uh, and stern. Um, the God is, gods of the Hindus, millions of gods, uh, the spirit gods in African nations of kind of a pantheism um, or, or tribal you know spirits or whatever. Um, these are not gods that are like on our side they're for us you're always trying simply to to uh, appease those gods to keep them from doing bad things right. to you but that's not the worldview of the christians god hears our cries and and what moses taught us was that god is a god who who not only loves us but he speaks into our culture so the the laws of god are actually the wisdom of god given to us so that we can prosper so let's just put it this way what is a, a secret of success for countries that are that prosper economically? Well, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Uh, righteousness exalts a nation. Well, what is righteousness? Righteousness is simply understanding the law of God and obeying it and honoring it and putting it into practice. So you don't even have to be a Christian to prosper. You you can you can find biblical principles and put them to practice in your life. Yep. And because you're practicing truth, you'll prosper even though you don't yet know the God of truth. Yep. And so this was radical. We started reading the Bible. We started seeing God wants to bless nations. God wants to bless individuals. God blesses obedience. God blesses covenant. Um, and then if you put these things into practice in a very real world, you're blessed. Like I love how he points out that other cultures were were seeking uh, magical powers through ritual and sacrifice, whereas the West began cultivating technological and scientific prowess. In other words, a lot of these worldviews were all about appeasement and ritual and sacrifice and pleasing the gods out there, whereas Christians say, "No, we know the one true God." And we're going to uh, we're going to search out his laws, and we're going to search out um, the, in the creative realm ways of taking dominion over the planet to to that inspired science and technology, which we talked about in previous podcasts. But to understand again that these came from a culture full of ideas that gave rise to these practices. There's a reason why we are seeking uh, dominion through science and technology. Right. There is a distinct, discrete law that God's given us for us to discover. And once we discover those laws, we can use those laws to take dominion of the world. Absolutely. That itself is a sophisticated thought that we have taken for granted that that hasn't existed in the world before. You know, But again, the idea is we can take dominion. We are the heirs of, of the promise. Um, uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. I mean, all of these are very optimistic ideas that's introduced by Christianity that was in the world before. And I feel like 
many ways we modern Christians have lost sight of all those things. And what it, what it becomes, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You keep waiting for the Antichrist to come. You keep retreating. Yep. And guess what? The darkness keeps coming. So pessimism. <laughs> yes. Victimhood. Fatalism. Uh, you know, it's always going to be this way. I can't change. I'm what? Who am I? I'm just right. one voice. I mean, you know, all of these things are really demonic because they paralyze people and they keep us from fulfilling our God-given potential. Right, and we become the, the the heathens who just sit there and become victimized. Whereas we have the worldview that says, no, we can go take dominion. We can go change the world. We can go yeah. reform and get rid of corruption in our own government. We can do it, but we got to do it. We got we got to have the emotional uh, uh, framework, the theological and emotional framework to get up every day and says there are challenges ahead, but we got to face it. Where do we get that from? From our faith, from the scriptures. The Bible's full of of stories and accounts of of, uh, the underdog, so to speak. But that's what these guys did to change the world. And did we lose sight of that today? That's the question I'm asking Christians today. So he he quotes Adam Smith, and this, this book, Wealth of Nations, Hey, hey, this is like size, you know, 10 font, all right? This is quite yeah. a, a tome, all right? Yeah. We're probably not going to be working our way through this in future podcasts, but um, <laughs> I do recommend that this is, this is the economic theorist yeah. that our founders uh, uh, cut their teeth on and that modern capitalism is based upon. Um, it, it's right there. But I want to quote again from our author. He says... Um, Adam Smith had observed, as do some of today's ecological economists, that the universe has been so structured by its creator that in seeking their self-interest, creatures help to maintain the grand economic balance. We may strive to make money in our self-interest, but if we do so within the boundaries of moral limits, then the creator's invisible hand turns our labor into a matter of public good. Now, this was, this was uh, a radical concept. In other words, Self-interest within the bounds of moral integrity, right, is not a bad thing. In other words, why do you get a party and go to work? Well, because you're getting paid for your job. And if you work hard, you make a good living. If you make a good living, you can provide for your family. Uh, if, if you create, if you generate wealth, you can... You can uh, do more things. You can you can have a, a nicer house. You can drive a car maybe instead of walking. I mean, the, this is all rooted in healthy self-interest. Self-interest in and of itself is not evil. It becomes evil when we, when we move from healthy ambition into greed. And greed is simply operating outside of the moral boundaries God has established. In other words, we're not doing it for the glory of God, for the good of people. We're doing it primarily making myself an idol, making myself king. But, um, but ambition is not bad. And that's what uh, Adam Smith highlighted was that, you know, why do we get up and go to work? Why do we create things? Because it blesses us it, because we're serving our families and we're providing for our families. And I think this is an important thing to understand. The failure of communist countries is they violate the command of God uh, by stealing the pro- they don't. First of all, they don't recognize private property, and then secondly, they steal the private property of their citizens. And so, let's just take a look at our neighboring state, Illinois. <laughs> if you're if you're a business owner, and you're being taxed at an ungodly rate, in other words, they think because you're successful, you're supposed to support everybody that doesn't want to work in the state of Illinois. And so they're taking from you, literally robbing from you through uh, redistribution of your of taxation and of, of your money that you worked hard for. So if you're in a state that's going to take 60% of your money that you make, 
and there's a state right next door that's going to take 20%. Where are you going to go set up your business? This isn't rocket science. You're going to leave states that are taxing you to death, and you're going to go to states that are not going to tax you to death and steal all of your money. Mm -hmm. um, because this is called enlightened self-interest. Like, I'm, I'm a fool. Why would I want to work hard for the state? I have no desire to work hard for the state. Why would I want to invent for the state uh, if the state is going to steal my intellectual property? And so the rule of law that kings are not uh, able to steal from us, the rule of law that says there's, there's no chaos allowed in the marketplace in terms of robbing and stealing ideas or whatever. You know, so we have copyrights and we have things like this. Where did all this come from? It, this came from an understanding that God is a lawgiver, that the, that the law is to protect the rights of the individual, not the collective masses. Uh, and that when those laws exist, and I know that my idea will not be stolen because of copyright laws and so forth. It, it incentivizes creativity. It incentivizes businesses to start and to take the risk involved in creating a new business. This is how you generate wealth, not right. by stealing from people right. through taxes and not by stealing people's ideas through, through corrupt laws. The biblical worldview says the king is not above God. Right. God's above everything. So his law... Uh, everyone submits and under the, king, the law. The king, the king submits, submits the under law. The, the law too because the law belongs to God. So imagine if that's not the case and you're a business owner you go into this nation to create a business and at any point the king can come and just take your money. Would you even try? Will you take the risk, the hard work? Will you innovate and create a business in that nation? You would never do that because there's no stability and you work hard and all of a sudden anybody can come and just take everything. Yeah. So in that nation, there's no infrastructure because what business owners or business innovate entrepreneur comes, is they look at the chaos and they solve problems and they create order out of this chaos and they work hard to do it and they compensate well for it. That's really the heart of a biblical entrepreneur that create like God, reflection of God's image, they look at chaos and create order. Now, if there's no infrastructure, more infrastructure, the government comes and just take whatever you want, no one's going in there to do that. So the framework for God, for a moral God, for a law that transcends the government is so important for the prosperity of any economy because of the entrepreneur. That is the secret to keeping a nation wealthy. Right. And, and, and the infusion of capital. No one is going to invest capital in a country where that capital can be confiscated. You know, so if you're a Western investor and you're seeing amazing opportunity yeah. in, a, in an Eastern country, let's just say, but it's not a Christian worldview, maybe it's communism or, or maybe it's just chaos or maybe it's led by a, a, a totalitarian tyrant, you're not going to take your hard-earned capital and invest it in that business. As you said, when tomorrow the government can say, ah, we're going to take this coffee shop. It's now property of the, of the government. Right. Or we're going to steal this land. Uh, we need it for something else. So you're out of business. Um, uh, and it's the same way. We're, we're dealing with this, by the way. We've seen kind of this crony capitalism. We saw it um, under the Obama administration when he was bailing out certain businesses but not other businesses. Too, too big to fail kind of the argument. We saw this during COVID when the government government was coming in and saying, oh, you're not essential. You are essential. You can stay open. You can't stay open. And literally watching so many smaller businesses be driven out yep. of business by government. This is the kind of government behavior that destroys and puts a throttle 
on economic uh, growth. Well, let's be clear. You can go to these communist countries and you, you, you hand the money to the right people and you yourself can make a lot of money through these, right. you know, these means. Greasing the palm. Greasing the yep. palm. But it will not provide wealth for the nation. And that's the key. This is not just about you getting wealthy. It will not provide prosperity for the nation as a whole because of uh, uh, there's no even playing ground. It's, it's through these corrupt hands. So again, we're talking about the prosperity for not just yourself, but for the whole nation as, as, as the Bible has commanded yep. us. You need a moral infrastructure. That's my point. Yep. And McCormick, because he because the West had that moral infrastructure, you know, this was in the 1850s. He amassed a family fortune of over $10 million, which, as you said, is probably like closer to a billion dollars a day. Um, but he did some really innovative things. Uh, I love this. He was the first to introduce field trials. So instead of just buy my reaper, trust me, it works, he'd say, no, take the reaper out. And let's do some field. Let's compare the the reapers' work with your guys over there with the sickles, and let's let's see yeah. the difference. And he he actually came up with the fact that for every one dollar that you spend on this machine, you're going to save one hundred dollars. Uh, now that's that's an amazing sales technique. Right. So he he did some pretty crazy things. He he. Uh, he invoked a guarantee. <laughs> if you buy this, yeah. I guarantee this will happen. If right. it doesn't happen, your money back. Right. Well, wow, that was a radical idea. Testimonials. Right. Where I go Google to, reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, Pastor Andrew, you bought my Reaper last year. How's it working for right. you? Right. Um, so the whole uh, satisfied customer. Yeah. In other words, honesty in marketing, not not shady marketing, not not selling something that's a lie. And cash and deferred payments. So he'd say, look, okay, so you can't afford my Reaper, but I'm so convinced that this Reaper is going to generate profit that I'll let you use my Reaper for a year before you have to um, pay anything. So def- yeah. the whole idea of deferred payments. Now, all of this is rooted in trust, fair play. Yes, contract. The, yeah, yeah. rule of law. Um, and a, a healthy confidence right. that... What I'm sharing with you is true. Right. I, I'm not. I'm not selling you. You know these Ginsu knives. Buy now, and you know and they, <laughs> they're really plastic and they don't work. <laughs> uh, no, this is like real life. Take this out, touch it, work with it, use it. Yeah. So, so this was this was radical, radical stuff. And you brought out a good point. You know, back in the day, if something said made in Japan, you laughed because you knew it was garbage. But the Japanese started saying, wait a minute, we've isolated ourselves, we're not letting anybody in, we're, we're falling behind in technology, we need to learn from other nations. In other words, they employed a healthy humility. Right. And now, the, Japan creates some of the finest products. Before, if you had a car made in Japan, you know, it was a piece of junk. Now, the Japanese automobiles are some of the best uh, engineered in the world. Yeah. Um, and all this happened because they began to learn from the West. So, so it's interesting because this author, I appreciate because he, he covers all kind of perspective. He's like, well, if biblical worldview, Western civilization caused prosperity in the nation, let's, just, let's talk about some of these Eastern nations that's prosperous. So he mentioned uh, Japan. He mentioned India. He mentioned China. And, and basically his argument is, basic, is that these Eastern nations saw the West and they start imitating the West. And Japan was the first one yep. who says, you know what? We cannot be isolationists. We gotta learn. Yep. We gotta grow, and they become very prosperous. You know, and I will add South Korea into that mix. Of course, South Korea is highly Christian, has a lot of biblical yep. worldview understanding that calls their. I mean, compared to the North, for example. Oh yeah. But yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say he brought out a point that the, the Japanese learned from the Dutch. Yeah. Uh, and 
why were the Dutch so prosperous? Because they understood that if their job, if their calling was to make watches, then they were going to make watches to the glory of God. And excellence was non-negotiable. If you're doing what you're doing for the glory of God, you're not going to offer God subpar product. You're not going to have shoddy workmanship. Yeah. You're not going to use bad materials because you're doing what you're doing to glorify God. In other words, I'm going. To, if my job is to make this watch for the Lord as if God had arms or, or, or needed to keep time, right? But if I'm going to make this to present it to the Lord first, I'm not going to present him with garbage. So this caused craftsmanship and excellence and great uh, material, right? And you're not using shoddy materials and, and you're not cutting corners. Where did all this come from? Because you, first of all, you did what you did to honor the Lord and then to bless people. The Japanese did not have that as part of their worldview, right. but the, the Dutch did. They took it from the Dutch, these, so they copied, they influenced them. Now, what's very interesting to me, and remember back in the 90s, like we thought Japan was going to take over the world, but something happened in which something uh, uh, stopped this economic powerhouse. And what he was saying, which I thought is, is the, the, the fruit of capitalism without a biblical framework, framework right. has its limits because yep. what happened you know what he kind of described is is people were so influenced by work 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 they work hard right. but there was no sabbath there's no rest no emphasis on marriage or no family. emphasis or on children. marriage and family so what happened is these wives are left alone so they don't want to have kids anymore and the population decline hampers them like crazy so these japanese start investing in robots but he mentioned the one problem robots can't do is robots cannot uh provide social security for for the elderly. But <laughs> right. something else he mentioned that's very relevant to us is corruptions, rampant yeah. corruptions in their highest level of government. And that corruption, man, is something will kill your economic engine is corruption yeah. in the US. But 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 due to the because of lack of the framework, the religious, the biblical framework infrastructure, corruption creeps in and it hampers everybody. Yeah. So. so some of these countries in Europe, J Japan's one of them, not in Europe, but uh, many of these countries are not even replacing themselves by having children. And yeah. so they're, they're literally going extinct and becoming bankrupt. As you said, if the next generation isn't there to, to pay into welfare, then the previous generation is not going to have any resources. And, and this is happening all all over the world, especially where we've lost the, the value of the family uh, and, and that the, the notion that children are gifts from God, not economic burdens. Right. Um, so anyway, great, great stuff. We, we hope you're enjoying this as much as we are. Uh, this is one of the highlights of my week is just to sit here and celebrate uh, this amazing worldview. And I, I've shared this on, on podcasts before, but if someone can show me a worldview that actually produces the, the blessing and prosperity and beauty and truth and goodness... Um, Besides the Christian worldview, please let me know. But uh, but it is the champion. It always will be the champion. And wherever we understand it and live it and practice it, those are people who are blessed. So um, I hope you enjoy this. Share this with somebody that you know of that can use a, a burst of truth, uh, especially I love this topic, true wealth. Uh, these are things, again, that are more relevant than ever. We're talking about these in our culture, uh, economic discussions in Congress, so forth, debt limits and <laughs> all this debt ceilings. Yep. And oh, my gosh. So all this is incredibly relevant, and we hope it's helpful to you. Hey, so we'll look forward to getting together with you next Thursday. Until then, have a great week.